The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, on the cusp of my annual trip to Maine, where I will douse myself in blueberry-flavored everything and eat as many lobster rolls as I possibly can. But first, today's guest is George Buchanan, the founder and CEO of 2KB Energy Services, a company aiming to eliminate all forms of waste while also fostering environmental and social stewardship and creating professional and educational development opportunities. George is a project executive and subject matter expert in energy and environmental solutions with over 20 years of experience. He is results-driven, dedicated to helping his clients holistically manage their supply and demand side, side energy spend, finance capital projects, and accumulate cost savings. Who doesn't like cost savings? George holds an MBA from Georgia State University and a BS in electrical engineering from Florida A&M. Hold tight, listeners. My conversation with George Buchanan is coming right up. Welcome back, listeners. As I promised, I'm sitting here in conversation with George Buchanan, founder of 2KB Energy Services. George, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Chelsea. Great to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you because I love talking to people that are really kind of putting the the sweat equity, so to speak, into this energy transformation that we are um, some stage <laughs> process in. And so given your work that you're doing to help others who are on that journey, what do you see as needing to happen during this period in order to have our transition to cleaner energy, zero waste, be as seamless as possible? Mm, seamless. Um, well, with many things, it comes down to leadership, right? I mean, you've got some great folks working in the trenches, so to speak, and they can only be as successful as their stakeholder groups allow them to be. So uh, really putting the weight behind these initiatives and these goals uh, both from policy perspective, funding perspectives, uh, community support perspectives. So that's really what's going to help move the needle here. So the who are your clients? Who are your customers that you're working with on the day-to-day? Sure. On the day-to-day, I mean, we work at the director level, right? I mean, we like the operating mm-hmm. folks who are charged with implementing uh, multiple initiatives for capital projects, for infrastructure, for sustainability, for energy efficiency. And we help those folks uh, sort of spread their reach in uh, kind of apolitical ways throughout the organization, um, usually local governments, uh, publicly funded organizations, again, to, to get through the, the myriad challenges and roadblocks uh, of tackling these initiatives. And what are some of the roadblocks that you see aside from, I'm going to name a few, stubbornness and wanting to always do things the way they've been done for a hundred (laughs) years? Yeah, I mean, you hit on a couple 
couple of uh, very common ones, although I mean it's been those have been waning um, over the years as as new voices are brought to the table and given the opportunity to speak. I mean, just because we've done something the same way for 20 years doesn't make it the best way to do things, and we're seeing more and more uh, realization of of that fact. Roadblocks, in addition to those you mentioned and others, um, sometimes it's community support. Why are we bothering them with this? Um, and so it's, it's education, education, and more education that's necessary, uh, not only in communities, but again, with, with folks who are happy with the status quo. So I noticed um, when I was looking at your website and some of the work you do that there is a big emphasis on the transportation sector. And I find that really interesting personally because I know that transportation accounts for so much of our greenhouse gas emissions. And, mm-hmm. you know, I am fortunate, I guess, to to live in an urban area. Sometimes I wish I lived in a rural area, but uh, I live in an area with a pretty strong EV infrastructure network. And um I'm wondering from your perspective on transportation and sustainability, like how do we make our system more sustainable? And and just to kind of expand on that a little bit, I was in Germany last fall with my son who was doing study abroad in the town that he lived in the city, which has like hundreds of thousands of residents. They had whole segments of the center city that were just no cars could pass them, right? You could ride on a bike and they had trolley systems. And he was the one that said, gosh, I think that like Washington DC should do this where we just have no vehicles in a particular, um, area of the city, let people use the metro, let buses go through, but just trying to curb that tendency that we have to just, you know, single vehicle or using your vehicle, single occupant for a trip here and there. We drive way too much. So anyway, I've, I'm talking a lot, but what can we, what do we need to do to, to embrace sustainability in that transportation sector? Uh, you know, we go back to education, uh, education and access, right? I mean, I think about the, the question makes me think about um, the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Standards and Requirements. Um, so folks are concerned, for example, that, listen, I'm, okay, EV, they look nice, it sounds nice, but I travel a lot for work, and so I don't want to get stranded or stranded on a vacation or whatever the, whatever the case may be. Um, the, the NEVI, as it's called, um, is requiring states to develop network transportation infrastructure around electric vehicles to ensure that or reduce uh, the possibility that, you know, you can't get to where you're going and back um, without having an access to charging infrastructure. Um, I mean, the question you asked, Chelsea, about um, getting Americans to be less single occupancy driver, driver-centric, if you will, uh, that's, look, that's just going to take some time. I, I like to shoot straight and be real with things. I mean, we've got decades worth of financial and lobbying interests that have, you know, really placed the dependence on on oil, on gas, on cars, you know, your car is an extension of your home, you're alone. It's um it, it's gonna take time and folks getting more comfortable um with shared occupancy, with electric vehicles, with supporting uh, public transit, mass transit. Uh, there's, there's no, there's no good answer for that. It's going to be a tough fight for the folks that, yeah. that, that want to see more of that. 
Well, I definitely think that is one area where the mindset is so firm. Even um, members of my family who I wouldn't expect this from really dismiss the idea of EVs because they still have range anxiety and they have range range anxiety. That is hard to say three times really fast. That I think is more applicable to the old EVs. I mean, like any technology, they improve ranges change, but also the network is better. So I have mapped this out because my next car will definitely be um, an EV. And the longest trip that I take in my vehicle ever is once a year I drive up to Maine where my family lives from the Washington, D.C. area. And I sort of calculated I would have to stop at least once to do like a full recharge. I'd probably Mm -hmm. do it twice because, you know, I never like to have a totally empty tank of gas. So I'd probably, you know, do some little boosts along the way, but I could do it, right? It doesn't mean I could do it in one straight shot, but I could do it. Yet, my car is in the shop today, and even though I don't have anywhere to be, there is that feeling of, oh my God, I don't have my car. (laughs) So even for someone like me that is very conscious of these, of the need to reduce greenhouse gases, I take the metro a lot. I try to be, um, to live a little more sustainably. It's, still tough. So it's a tough sell for mm. people. It requires some, it requires us to be more thoughtful, right? Sure. I mean, absolutely. And I mean, we see um, in, so I live um, in the metro Atlanta area and we see more and more in the suburbs, these uh, mixed use developments with residential, with shops, with restaurants, with grocery. So you can get to one of those places relatively easily. You still have to drive, of course. But once there, you're able to be on foot and handle all sorts of things that you you might need to get back in your car and drive to a separate store or or strip mall or you know grocery store anchored shopping center with huge parking huge empty half empty parking lots and and all of these things. So you know the the you were talking earlier about your experience in Germany with these blocked off areas where no auto traffic is available, but I would venture to guess that there was sufficient infrastructure and access to basic needs that, yeah, that makes sense. You can go to that area and do all sorts of things in, in terms of living. And then when you're done, you get on a tram or a streetcar or some such thing and get back to a parking ride kind of area and get back in your car and leave. Um, um, it was really nice during the pandemic. I felt like some of the major cities had shut down their roads to traffic because people weren't driving in the city to make space for tables for restaurants and stuff. And and I remember the first time I saw that in the D.C. area, it did have a very European feel, right, to see these cafe tables in the street and the the lighting done. I don't know. It looked very quaint. And, you know, who's driving into the city to run their errands, right? We do tend to go toward the strip malls or toward like more suburban places to do those errands. So I think I, what I really want to do is figure out who invented the idea of a strip mall and have a conversation with them. Um, but what's nice to so what you were saying about you have these mixed use development areas is that a lot of those places where you are parking your car now also have EV chargers. So you can be charging your car while you're doing your errand running. Absolutely right. And I think, you know, as we think about uh, EV charging infrastructure going forward, we need to be mindful of just even the location, Kelsey, of the, of, of the infrastructure. So a brand new mixed use development 
they're able to design and install their charging infrastructure, sometimes, oftentimes rather, with preferential parking uh, for those EVs, you know, just goes bad against building EV charging infrastructure in existing uh, facilities, existing infrastructure. Well, all right, well, let's put it as close as we can to the current electrical infrastructure, which is often in the back and in the dark, right? So <laughs> we can get the stop and in charge there overnight or not overnight, but in the, in the million hours. So these are there's lots, lots of things to think about. We now continue on the Eco Rights Speaks podcast. Visit republicen.org online to sign up and stand with us. So if you are looking around the U.S. at different um, cities or municipalities that are really embracing like holistic sustainability, is there anyone that sort of pops your mind as a role model or something that other areas should be emulating? Um, you know, you won't be surprised. It's... Um... Places like Denver, Colorado, Kane County, Washington, I mean, they're really leading the way on developing or, or, or truly master planning for EV infrastructure, um, getting them, getting themselves, getting their communities ready for this wave of this, this transition from, um, conventional gas powered vehicles to electric vehicles. Um, so in those cases, again, you've got leadership that's got a strong eye toward it or has had a strong eye toward it for, for many, many years. And so they're working through these plans. Uh, it's, there's no reason to find yourself in a touch-up position, but I think um, many, many leaders will find themselves just there trying to play catch-up. And we'll see the same sort of hodgepodge approaches uh, that we see in traffic congested areas. I mean, think about, you know, places that you go where the traffic is so poor and you can't help but wonder, well, wait a minute, how did they see this coming? Why are we only now, you know, we're talking about more and more roads, but in this example, why are they just now widening this road? It's been growing the gangbusters for years. That's the sort of planning and leadership that tends to lag and, and you end up just doing whatever you think you have to do to catch up at that point. So long-time listeners will not be surprised to hear me bring this up, but um, the now former, he recently retired mayor of Carmel, Indiana, long ago decided, you know, the suburb outside of Indianapolis, and he, I don't remember the nascence of, of the idea for him, but he decided that he wanted to replace the um, stoplights with um, roundabouts. Yeah. So he the town or the city of Carmel now has, I think it's a hundred roundabouts, some of them on their very major um, thoroughways. And he was telling me just like how much traffic has reduced because you mm. don't have that stop and start. So the flow of traffic has reduced. They've calculated their greenhouse gas savings. And now they also, in the meantime, really revitalized their city center and they have these big plush trees and the medians and stuff. And he just said that it's really, the whole thing has really transformed the city. And at the same time, you're saving the greenhouse gas emissions, but you're also saving people money, right? Because they're not doing that stop start that um, takes a little extra gas out of your fuel tank. And so I just love hearing examples of places that are looking at what they can do. It's sort of like personal responsibility, but on the municipal level, right? What 
is your town capable or your community capable of do, capable of doing that responds to this need for an energy and energy transition? So it's, it's like no, a domino I mean, effect. Yeah, it is. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the, unfortunately, in our national news, it is the, the federal government and federal regulatory agencies, cabinet level, that get the attention, but the leadership and the action starts at the local level, right? It's at the county level, it's at the city level, the township level, whatever the case may be. Um, they lead the charge in, in driving change. And then the mayor next door, she sees the results. You, you know, you were talking about the city in Indiana. She sees the results and says, holy cow, let's get some of that going here. I'm going to spend time with our city council, with our county commissioners, and, and, and start moving this along. I mean, when you go up to the state level, at some, at some level, maybe that's too late, right? I mean, I was at a, I won't say where, I was at a conference or a council of legislators and the, the commissioner of the Department of Transportation was talking about the use of roundabouts and all these elected officials, there's this collective groan because they can't navigate the roundabout. So, okay, leave it alone. Let's let the cities and the county lead the charge. Yeah, I think that's important. George, what gives you hope that we can reach these goals of sustainability and zero waste and, and that we can sort of rise to the challenges that we need to rise to if we are going to um, curb climate change? Uh, well, what gives me hope is history. I mean, this country has done amazing, has accomplished amazing things throughout its history and continues to do so, right? Despite our stumbles um, and, and, and challenges, we as a people have tended to overcome these things. Activity tends to, again, local public perception, local activity tends to lead national public policy. And so as we see more and more individuals and small communities and then towns and then counties and then states and then regions uh, adopt these things, there's, there's really nothing that, uh, few things that America has shown it hasn't been able to do, right? I mean, we, we oftentimes might appear divided on our, on our collective goals, but I think most of that is folks who are interested in selling that division as a means to propagate their own you know, agendas and, and keep the advertising dollars rolling in for them. Um, but you go out on the street and you deal with your with your neighbor with, you know, random stranger at the grocery store, that's not what's going on. Folks are trying to get to the same place, although we may have um, not necessarily always the same idea about how to get there. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, I think it was Winston Churchill who said Americans – um, will always do the right thing after they've exhausted all other options. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we, we get there. And, and I do agree with you that the divide is amplified in the media. So we, most of us, you know, we just want to live healthily and happily. And we wish that for our neighbors as well. And um, so we could wax poetic about that, I think, for a long time. But George, how can our listeners find out more about you and your work? Well, you can visit us at 2kbenergyservices.com. Uh, my staff tells me we're active on Instagram and Twitter and other places. <laughs> so you can uh, check us out there. Um, we, I don't know, tell me, I, 
for the longest, I told folks, uh, like, look, we do great work, but we're really poor at telling our story because we just like getting the work done. We like yeah. results. We, we, you know, um, the, the, the credit and the accolade, that's not hey, a fun for us. The actions speak for themselves. So there you go. Well, thank you so much for your time and thank you for everything you're doing and um, good luck on any future projects, upcoming projects you're working on. No, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Great conversation. Thanks so much. Bryce, guess what day today is? What's today? Well, not today precisely, but this week is mm-hmm. the last week that I'm in the office before I go to Maine. Woo-hoo. Yay! I know. You know I love my my week in Maine every summer, so I'm just so excited, and uh, I can taste the lobster. Uh, I know. I could have, I was just thinking about how much lobster you're going to eat while you're up there. Oh, you know, I will eat some for you, too, because we're such good friends. Lobster all week as I was watching the main team play in the Little League World Series the other day. Yeah. You know what? I tried to stream it and I couldn't. No? So tell me what happened. Who won? Uh, I think they lost, but I think they're still in it. Uh, I don't think they're out yet. I don't think. But I haven't. I was camping all weekend with my son's scout troop, so... I was pretty much out of commission Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and I got home last night, and literally, as soon as I got in bed, I was out. I bet. That sounds like an exhausting weekend, and it, uh, probably a hot one to be outside. It was hot, but the mornings or the e- the nights and the evenings were cold, or not cold. Oh, they got down cooler. into the upper 60s, which was nice, which mm-hmm. hadn't been the case, and so waking yeah. up... It was actually a little chilly. I actually got my sleeping bag one night because it it got a little cold, which is good. I'm I'm grateful for that. But yes, the it other was day so- someone noted that fall was coming, and I was like, "Shh, don't scare it." Yeah, the day after my daughter's uh, birthday coming up, that's always the fall reminder, which is still a month away. But at least when we do hit that mark, it means that we might have a few like cooler nights and mornings. But I know this, in the upstate of South Carolina, we got upper, upper 90s coming later this week. Well, Price, I feel like we would be remiss while we're talking about the weather to not yep. acknowledge this hurricane hitting California. Never in our lifetime has this happened, right? This is insanity. And then a, what, five-point-something earthquake on top of that yeah. last night, I mean, or Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just could not get a bigger double whammy, but thoughts and prayers to everybody there um, that's going through just a wild spell and, you know, continue prayers out to the folks in in Maui and the Lahaina area. And, man, it's just happening everywhere. You know, now you got forest fires, you got wildfires now firing up in, you know, outside of Vancouver. I mean, it's just the world's not yeah. burning and we're not coming to an end, but man, it sure feels like all this stuff all like happening it. at once. Yeah. The signs are there. The signs are there. Yeah. So, uh, yep. yeah, even when I was in Maine, um, for my pretend trip, which, um, was just to go for my 35th high school reunion. Yay. Uh, everyone was saying it had been such a warmer, they had a lot more rain in the summer than they've normally had. But also the evenings just don't cool down the way they used to. And that's what frightens me. You know, I love me a cool evening with the windows open and 
Yeah. Um, anyway, something's happening and we need you listeners to help us solve it. So tell your friends to sign up and join us and, um, support market-based solutions to, uh, climate change. Yes, absolutely. We need you and your friends. We need you all to join us at republican.org forward slash join where you can sign up and stand with us. It takes mere seconds. We would love to have you on our team. We need you on our team. Uh, again, republican.org forward slash join. We had a few new members signed since last week. Shout out to Peterson T. In Pennsylvania, I think I know who that is. I think we know who that is. <laughs> Zach T. in Colorado, Dan T. in Indiana, Cecil, not T, but Cecil L. in Georgia, and then Donna R. in Ontario, Canada. Wow, so, Canada. Is this our first Canada member? We'll have to ask Angela. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think so because Bob has spoken to a few um, groups up uh, there, and I believe we've had okay. people join before. But it's we don't have many, so – um, shout out to all our new members, even those that we did not read. And if you sign up and stand with us, there's a chance we might shout you out next week. That's right. We want to hear your name come out of Price's mouth because he is a career radio guy and he has well, a great radio voice. So I don't know about that. And definitely not career, just a wannabe flunky <laughs> when it comes to audio production. But another shout out to George Buchanan, who was our guest this week yes. from not too far away from me over in the ATL in Atlanta from 2KB Energy Services. It was great to have him this week, Chelsea. Yeah, that was um actually Angela helped arrange this um this guest. She is rocking and rolling in terms of anytime she has any sort of event and she meets somebody interesting, she's right on it. So anyway, I really enjoyed my conversation with George. When you live as I do in this system where or in this political ecosystem, right, where everything feels so polarized and sometimes it feels stalled and it doesn't seem like we're making progress. It's just good to see that there are people like George who working nonpartisanly, just rolling up their sleeves and being like, okay, how do we solve this? You want to be more sustainable. You want better clean energy solutions. Let's put together a roadmap because yeah. that's what we really need is less talking and more doing. You nailed it on all accounts. I couldn't agree more. So hats off to George and, you know, listeners, as always, we welcome your suggestions. We did a poll last year. We got a lot of good ones. We're still putting our content together for this year. I would say the first half of the season is pretty well baked, but, uh, you know, second half of the season and there's always price. Wait for it. 2024 <laughs> season eight is not really that far away. So. Hit us up. You never know. Something might strike a chord with us. Oh, man. Looking ahead to season eight already. Wow. Hey. Well, we got to put a bow on this one because we got to get ready for next week where we give us an update. May, may not have an episode. We will see. Stand by. Stay tuned. Yeah. Yep. Stay tuned, mystery guest, or maybe a bye week. We'll see what happens. We will let you know via social media at republican.org or at republican on all our social media platforms what our schedule for next week is as we get ready for uh, Labor Day, which is right around the corner. So stay tuned as Chelsea is going to depart the premises for some lobster and her, her summer main 
vacation week that she looks forward to every single year. Have a <laughs> safe trip, Chelsea. Have fun more than anything. Have fun. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. All right. We'll talk to everybody next week. As always, thanks for downloading, listening, subscribing, and investing your time with us here on the Eco Right Speaks. We'll do it next week, maybe. Until maybe. then, Chelsea. <laughs> Until have then. fun. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.